Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event. Are you ready? Let's get ready to ramp up your sales. And now the man you've been waiting for. He is the real thriller in Manila. The undisputed, undefeated, reigning, defending, pound for pound, heavyweight, John, the sales machine, Rankins! Ladies and gentlemen, we're in for a treat today. We got the CEO and founder of the number one route planner, for field salespeople all over the world. This guy's got over 6,000 customers, and he's the real deal. If you want to take your organization to the next level, you got to listen up. He's got an MBA from Stanford University. He looks like Steve Jobs. And not only that, he's worked with IBM, Autonomy, and Google. And when I said he's the real deal, listen up, folks. He was... Google's enterprises, Google Enterprises top performing salesperson in the whole world. So he is the founder of Badger Maps. He also runs his own podcast. It's called the Outside Sales Talk Podcast. And he helps companies all over the world increase their sales, drive performance, and most importantly, retain their customers. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome to the show Steve Benson. Thanks, John. I'm really excited to be here. Well, it's exciting to uh, to learn from such a legend. And, you know, I'm all about the guerrilla marketing. And, you know, I've been doing door-to-door -door sales for 30 years and building sales organizations all over the world for 30 years. And I just got nothing but respect for you. And I'd like to hear a little bit about your experience. I know, you know, you worked for IBM and Google and, and all these other organizations. But then, you know, you jumped you jumped ship and, and you became an entrepreneur and you built software to actually help companies increase sales. And it's through field agents. Can you tell me what this, what made you make that decision? Yeah, absolutely. So my career, when, when I was at all the, the companies that you mentioned there was on the sales side, specifically in outside sales, field sales. And my last role at Google was actually working with the Google Maps API. So uh, not the Google Maps that people use on their phone, but the actual uh, Google also packages up packages up their maps and into an API so that people can actually use it in other pieces of software. And so I was working with the maps and I had the problems that field salespeople have. And so I was kind of selling the answer to my own problem. And so I started evaluating like, hey, is there is there room for a company? Would this create value if we made a product that allowed salespeople to see all the customers that they have, all the prospects they have in a mapping environment. So basically take their CRM and put it on a map effectively and bring in routing tools and lead generation tools and things of that nature, all in that mapping environment on their mobile device. And uh, when I talked to VPs of sales and, and sales leaders of, of organizations that had big field sales teams and people out in the field, they were really positive about it. So we started the business and that was about 12 years ago now, it was in uh, 2012 and been working on it ever since. And now we, we're, we're still a small company. We have uh, 85 employees uh, around the world and, uh, and it's, and we've kind of solved the original problem we started out to solve. So now we're working on, on solving a few others, but it's been a, a fun ride. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of how I got to where I am today. Wow. And you got 6,000 
companies actually using the app, right? Or the, yeah. the system. I just think that's amazing. You know, we just started the sales machine and uh, we're gung ho, ready to get out there and, and get things going. But obviously we're bringing to the table, the psychology methodology and technology to help companies build a sales machine in their business. And a lot of companies have been struggling, especially since 2020 and COVID. And what have you seen in the marketplace and what has happened with your business and how have you adapted to not only survive, but thrive in the last three years? Well, I think it has been a challenging economy for a lot of people, and it's been a great economy for a lot of others. And uh, what the stock market's done is disconnected from what actually is going on in the economy and, and different parts of the world have been affected very differently, right? If you, if you had a, we, we, you know, at Badger Maps, our, our, our product, we have customers that sold beer to bars, right? They're in, they were in deep trouble in, you know, in May of 2020, because the bars were all closed. But then we had other customers that sold medical devices to hospitals and they not much changed about their business. You know, they, I think they were home for a month or two, but then they were right back out in the field by June or July or so. And we, and we could see that in our data where people were, were doing their check-ins from, where they were gathering their data from, that we could see that their meetings had started back up again. But yeah, I mean, in terms of what someone, if a business is facing headwinds or facing a bad economy or facing difficult times in, in their industry in general, then, you know, there are some things that you're going to, that you're going to see, right? So the first thing is if, if it's economic and your entire industry is under pressure, your competitors are going to start getting desperate, which can create a death spiral, like a, a race to the bottom. Exactly. Because De desperate competitors they're, and they're going to do desperate things, right? So if your industry is in trouble or is, is under pressure, you're going to start to see deep discounting from your competitors. You're going to see them start liquidating their inventory just to just to make ends meet, right? Maybe they'll give away free things like, you know, free consulting or free product, but they're going to do a lot of things to try to steal your customers away from you. So even if you have things relatively under control, if your industry is under pressure um, and you've made the smart decisions, but the industry is, is in trouble or, or under challenging, you're still going to have to react because you're because of what your desperate competitors are going to do. The other thing you can see is your customers can be under pressure. So maybe your industry is just fine, but maybe your prospects or your customers are under pressure. And we certainly saw this because we, you know, we make a piece of software for field sales teams. So early in COVID we were in, and this is, you know, this is over now, but we definitely saw, this is a good example of a industries being under pressure because we had certain industries that were serving non-essential businesses and they've, and this is around the world, they were just shut down, right? So they were seeing their customers and therefore that affected us because they weren't able to see their customers. They didn't need our software that helps them manage their time in the field, but they were seeing their customers not wanting to engage, not wanting to meet or not being able to be open. And when you zoom back, a tougher thing was often if someone didn't really want to meet with you before, now they, they have a great excuse to not meet with you, right? And a lot of people don't know they're in the market for something until you've met with them and you've kind of shown them, hey, here's the value of this. Um, what you know, here, here's this widget, and the widget will make you 10% better. And 10% better to you is worth $10 million. And this widget costs $500,000, so it's totally worth it. But you may not even know you're in the market for a widget. And so all these people that didn't know they were in the market all of a sudden pulled back. And that's how economies can 
or one of the factors that can cause a, an economy to kind of crunch down a bit. But I think across the board and during tough times, if your customers, whether the tough, whether the tough times are for you or your customers, you're just going to run into resistance to spending money. Sales cycles can 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 lengthen. You can get f spending freezes from the top of the organization if a, if the if the leadership of an organization feels that that the company's in trouble, they they pucker up. And also, you're going to have things like aggressive procurement offices. The the buyer the the your buyers may try to leverage difficult times across the board to extract dis discounts from you on on existing or new business. And uh, generally, they'll do things that are going to jam down your margins. Hey, can we pay later? Hey, can we get in a plan? Hey, can and remember, you know. Procurement professionals are basically professional negotiators, right? So do they know how to extract concessions when there's a reason to? Yeah, of course. And, and so, you, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's their job to twist your arm and get a few more concessions out of you. So there are things that you can do if you're under pressure, if you're looking at a difficult situation. There are responses. You know, you can become a better negotiator. You can take classes on to becoming a, a better negotiator, for example. And it's important to know that, like, a lot of things... You can change your sales process. You can change the things you're doing to become better, right? You can you can ask the right questions up front during the discovery process. You want to make sure that you understand the exact dollar value that your customer will get from a solution. And then you can put that value into numbers for them, get down to an you know an ROI level with them. And then later in the sales cycle, when you're actually trying to close the business, you can tie your proposal back to that value that you've, because you've uncovered how much it's really worth. If you know it's worth 10 million, when you're selling it for 500,000, pointing that out really clearly later in the process makes it harder for them to be like, hey, we'll give you 200,000 for it. You, know, you can point back to that ROI and hold firm on your, on things like pricing. I love that. I love that. That's the value proposition. And so many people get it wrong as far as understanding so my whole philosophy is sales is service, right? I'm doing it for you, not to you. And I'm going to solve your problem and make sure you're satisfied. And I was just having a conversation with one of my sales people earlier. And, and he said, well, this product sounds like it's really expensive. And I'm like, really? Compared to what? Because we were doing... Because in the absence of value, it always comes down to price. If the customer uh, or the client, and the so organization can't see your value, what? then they're always going to negotiate on the price. So I love what you're saying about that value proposition being calculated to an ROI, right? So if I can show you how you can make an additional $10 million in your business within a year or two years, and it only costs, the investment would only be $500,000 for this widget. Would that be worth your time? Could you use an extra $10 million? I know I could. Yeah. And I think we have to expect that customers are going to push back on things like price in a difficult or challenging market or a difficult time in the economy. Salespeople need to be prepared for more challenging negotiations. I think the, and frankly, you know, the number one objection that you find yourself negotiating over as a salesperson is your price is too expensive. But when you hear this, you know that you're actually in a good place because you know, you've built value throughout the sales process. 
and the prospect wants your product, they would just like it for cheaper. And so they start to negotiate. And, you know, my technique in this situation, you say to the prospect, so when you say that we're too expensive, that's compared to who? And maybe they'll say, well, company A, right? And then you can respond, well, if my price was identical to company A, who would you choose? And, and you know, they'll always say you or else they would be negotiating with company A and, and not you because if they're cheaper and they prefer them, right? And so, you know, you, you, when they say, oh, I'd, I would choose you, you can say, fantastic. I'm, I'm curious, why would you choose me? And then just sit back and shut your mouth and listen while they sell your product back to you. And then when they're done, you can say, well, yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. And I honestly hear that a lot from customers. And given that, does it make sense to you why we cost a little bit more? And it's really hard for them not to nod their head in agreement. And, you know, this isn't a great time to offer a concession, or this is a great time to offer a concession of some kind that isn't price, but is a different way that you can create value for them. So you can offer them something else that you have kind of in your in your bag of tricks that is giving them something but isn't lowering the price and isn't kind of putting your business in trouble by compressing your margins but uh that's my tip for how how you can take someone from saying hey this is way too expensive or hey i feel like this is just too expensive to do a deal and, and get them over the line yeah in the absence of value it always comes down to price you've got to know how to keep your value and establish your value and, and what the customer is going to get. And we used that exact strategy a week and a half ago with about four different clients by letting them know what they sign up for the sales machine. Now they only have to start, they get the software free for the next two months. It only starts in January, the billing cycle. And you know what they sign, they they're signing up and we had one CEO call and he was out of town for a week because he had to go. The whole country here in the Philippines shut down. I'm currently here because of this All Saints Day. They they all go to the graves and pay respect, right? So it's just shut down. But he literally called my sales agent and he asked her, he goes, you know, I've been wanting to sign the contract. I was out of the country. I just got back. I'm not blowing you guys off. Can I still get that same offer? Can I still have that offer where it's free and then I only start paying in January? And she said, yeah. She He goes, come by the office on Friday. I'll sign the contract. Yeah. And I, I think that's a... For, for businesses that have that ability to like give a free trial or really let the customer kick the tires, give a give a live demo where they really get a feel for the real thing. I think that's a one of the best sales tools you have in your bag. We do that all the time where we where if someone will we'll extend someone's trial, you know, just to to a month or even two months if it's a big company and just let them kick the tires on it because by the time and use let them use the thing, right? Because by the time they've been using it for a month, they're like, "Well, yeah, I mean, we already see the value." So, if you have a great product that stands on its own, you can it's a really nice sales crutch. Just be like, Hey, you use it. And then the product sells itself. Cause they're, you know, in our case, we're helping people build routes, right? Build, see their, see their territory on a map and figure out their day, their schedule because they've built a good route on the map. You know, they were all doing this before they, before they got our product, they were just doing it with, you know, a combination of their CRM or a spreadsheet and Google maps and figuring out where they're going to go and, 
kind of it's by you can do what we do by hand and everyone has to because they were already deciding what their routes were going to be we just make it really really quick and easy and make it better and so once once they try it and use it they're not going to stop like no one no one goes back and says hey i'd love i'd love to do that by hand again like could, could, we, could we could i yeah no after you gave people a calculator they were never like oh we'd love to do long division by hand that's a lot of fun <laughs> yeah exactly I love that. It's, it's like the puppy dog strategy, right? You, 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 you let the, the family take it home for two weeks and then, you know, let them know, look, I'm not going to charge you for the puppy. Just, you know, let your kids play with it, keep it for a couple of weeks and I'll be back to pick it up in two weeks. Once people fall in love with your product and, or your service, and you have enough value proposition that where they're going to make money, then they're going to stay with you. And, that's why I created this podcast. I really want people to understand that there's really ways to increase sales, drive performance, and retain their customers to build a sales machine in their business. And that's what I love about Badger Maps because it actually drives performance. It saves people time and at the same time increases people's profitability of their company. And going back to COVID, you said some really key things because the philosophy of the sales machine is to increase sales, drive performance and retain your customers. But a lot of people got frozen and you talked about, you know, in a difficult economy, there's going to be pressure on, it depends on industry, but in a difficult economy, like in COVID, obviously the medical profession or people selling masks, alcohol, and I'm guilty because I pivot very quickly to take advantage of a market that needs served, right? But then a lot of people are not served. Like you said, a lot of restaurants, bars, beer companies, they couldn't serve the routes. You know what I mean? But I believe in taking care of the customers, and especially in the tough times. And so what kind of strategies did you use to retain your customers during those difficult times? Not just the guys that wanted to drive your price down or take advantage of the situation, but what were some strategies you used to retain your customers? Because let's face it, a lot of software companies, it's not just about going out there, getting the customer, making the sale, but it's also keeping the customer, right? It, they call it churn, right? So what are some strategies you've used to reduce churn or that you've used with to retain your customers in those challenging times? Yeah, I think uh, it, it probably depends on the challenge. I mean, um, but across the board, uh, across challenging times, I think listening to your customers, empathizing with where they're at, and you know, is the challenging time for them or for you? You know, for us, you know, we let, if people's field sales teams weren't going to be going out into the field, they didn't need to be paying for us. And if they're laying people off with they 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 didn't, you know, it's not a good time for them to pay for our products. So that in that specific case, it was we, we just let people pause their payments. And so that which in that then, you know, four months later when their teams were going back out into the field, they were able to just turn us right back on. So we under, like even if they were in, under a contract, you know, to be paying us monthly, we would say, "Hey, let's it's okay. Let's break the contract. Let's put everything on pause." And so we didn't lose the customer, right? They we helped them get through their tough time, um, and certainly it was a tough time for us as well because it was a tough time for our customers. But 
it, our business as a software company, it, it was a lot easier for us to adjust to COVID than say it would be for a bar whose job is to sell beer to people. And therefore a beer company selling to bars, it's a really bad time for them too. And, and there's lots of industries like that. But yeah, I think across the board to retain your customers, you want to really listen to them, listen to their problems, communicate with them, and always seek to seek to create value. In tough times, a lot of people want to hide, but that's the most important time to get in front of your customers and see how you can be helpful to them because that's how relationships keep going. And maybe they're not going to make a big order in the next couple of months because it is a tough time for them. But, but then once you know, if you treat them right and you, you help them when they're down, then they'll, they'll be making orders again in the future. Yeah, that's great. And so, you know, you, you field sales badger field sales to increase people's sales, make them better, faster, more efficient. What are some things that you do with your sales team to drive performance? Well, I think, you know, from my position in the company, you know, I, one of the most important things I can do is, is be a good coach, right? Like I'm, I'm not the salespeople's managers, the, the VP of sales is, and then, um, and then the, the directors of sales, the people that actually run the different teams, you know, are kind of more directly in charge of the, of the salespeople. But from my position, I think coaching is really, really important. And I think a frontline sales manager should be spending 50% of their time coaching their team, up-leveling their skills, especially in tough times or any time of change, really. Anytime a company or an organization is in adjustment, you really want to lean on coaching. And this could be pre-call strategizing, post-call debriefing, could be joint calls, you know, going on ride-alongs with your customers, with, with your reps. Um, it could be specific opportunity coaching. Anything that makes your reps or the team better counts towards that 50% rule of thumb. But, and I guess what, you know, what should you be coaching on? It probably depends on your industry and your team, but, but uh, coaching, especially in difficult times is really, really important. You know, it's always a good time to become a better negotiator, right? Learning the skills to defend your margins in a, in a difficult time, how to sell value, like we were talking about before. Every team could always do more role playing and freshen up their skills in those areas. Another skill that no one could ever be good enough in, in, at in this world. And, and a lot of the hardest skills are like that. You're never a master. You know, there's no, no one's the Yoda of sales. You, everyone can always get better. Another area you can get, everyone can get better in is building pipeline. No one's, no one's pipe is too thick, right? Uh, and, and sometimes in times of change or challenging times in the economy, you have to relearn how to prospect and what's going to work changes. You have to, sometimes you even have to rethink who you're selling to, right? Like for us, we lost about 40% of our customers during 2020 and then, but we gained 30% back in different industries, right? So we kind of shifted to who, who we were selling to because certain industries were, were doing better than others, right? And, and the people that left in general came back later, uh, assuming they made it, they, they stayed in business. But those beer companies all needed to sell beer again by November or so, right? Because the bars were back open. But you know, I, I think often the best buyer for your product, your ideal customer profile can shift a little bit and sometimes it can shift a lot, right? But yeah, in good times or bad times, you have to sharpen, but especially in bad times, obviously you have to sharpen your weapons. You have to get out and hunt. You have to thicken your pipe. In the good times, maybe food's easier to come by and a lot of teams are just farming or kind of coasting along. But uh, when the locusts come and, and eat all your proverbial crops, right, you got to pull out the bow and the arrows and, and get into the woods and hunt for some new deals. So, so the good news is that 
I think when it's a difficult economy, when times are challenging, you do see prospects and customers pick up their phones more, right? Like they're willing to engage because it's also an incentive for them to make changes. They have to evaluate new vendors. They have to figure out how they're motivated to, to become better themselves. And often it's a new solution or a new product that can help them solve their problems. So, so yeah, I, mean, I think coaching, pipeline building and rethinking how your team is attacking the market is all a really good use of a sales leader's time when it's a challenging economy. I agree. Yeah, my good friend Bradley, he says, and he he built Lightspeed VT, and we also have a training system in the sales machine. But he he says that you know training is not something you did; training is something you do, and you've got to constantly be sharpening your skills because the irony of success is that comfort is the enemy of success, and we all want to achieve success so that we can be more comfortable so that we can have a better life, right? But the fact is, if you get too comfortable, there's always going to be somebody out there who's hungrier and is definitely going to take advantage of the hustle and finding a way, like you said, increase their value proposition over yours. So you've seen it all come back. And I spoke at the Harassus conference. It's like the World Economic Conference in, in Vietnam. And everybody was, the tagline was, O2O. The future of companies is O2O. I mean, BMW was there. Huge advertising organizations. A lot of telcos were there. And the word of the day was like O2O. And I'm like, you know, is that like oxygen? What, what, what's, what's O2O, right? And they're like online to offline and offline to online will be the companies that really succeed in the future because nothing's going to replace the human interaction. And we talked about this with demonstration marketing. And I've done a lot of demonstration marketing with even fast moving consumer goods, because you can 10 X your sales. When you do a demo of a product, you 10 X your sales. I mean, vacuum cleaners have been doing it for years. Uh, people selling knives have been doing it for years. And the world is changing. More and more people are buying online. But at the same time, you're running a company whose expertise is really offline sales. So can you talk about what trends are you seeing in the marketplace, whether it's from the offline going to the online and or how are you generating leads online to send your people offline to make more sales? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think some things in this is just industry by industry, some things are sold online and for the most part, if it's uh, if it's the type of thing that can be sold online, it's already being sold online. And some things are best sold face to face. And whether this is door to door or business to business sales, or whether we're talking about having an actual store where there's a, you know a retail environment where where you have a retail sales professional face to face with people, I think there are many products that it's hard to show the value of the product if you're not face to face, like. There are just some things you have to touch, you have to try to know that it's worth the money, know that it's better than the alternatives, etc. And COVID was a funny time because you saw things that really should be sold face-to-face, -face, sold over Zoom. That affected a lot of people in a lot of ways, right? Or, or you know, things that should have been sold in a retail environment, people were 
we're selling them online. And some things can be sold both, right? Like you'll see something sold in a retail environment, like with a brick and mortar store and the same product from the same company might be sold online as well. But maybe some people are comfortable enough uh, with the product already that they don't have to go into a, a retail environment. But other people aren't, right? Correct. Like skincare. I, I have a skincare brand called Aqua Plus. And uh, yeah, the people want to try it without a demo or even just a little bit on their skin. They, people aren't willing to put just anything on their skin because that's a, that's a perfect example of what you're saying. And all of our customers, you know, we give them trial samples of the SKUs or each different product so that they can try it, so they can check it out because they don't want to put something on their skin, especially women, right? Men are getting better, right? As far as using skincare and stuff, but all 90% of our, our customers are women and they are very cautious about changing a brand or trying something new. Makes sense, yeah. There's so many great case studies from COVID, I think, that things like companies like skincare companies had to do unnatural things, right? Normally they were selling face-to-face -face and then they had to start you know, doing it online or over Zoom and sending the products in. But I think what we've seen is if, you know, now that we're, COVID's long in the rearview mirror now, like the, I think what we've seen is the companies that did get to try that out, often figured out how ineffective it was and how much, how much longer sales cycles were, the lower close rates. It was a time of suffering for a lot of companies, right? And we've seen people return to whatever the best way for their industry to sell, we've seen it return. So and as a general rule of thumb, if a retail environment was the best way for you to sell before COVID, it is the best way to use, for you to sell today. If a field sales motion and having people go out and meet customers was the best way before, it probably is the best way today. And if online was the best way before, it is the best. It probably is the best way today. So what you're saying is it's trending back to where it was, right? I think it's already gone back to where it was. Yeah, I mean, very few people entered COVID and figured out, hey, I could sell my stuff on Zoom. I should do this forever. This is better. For the most part, people were like, they already knew that that was the best way to sell with an inside sales motion, or they found out it, and they were forced to do it, which and it didn't work as well. And they knew as, as soon as they could, they wanted to go back it, for whatever their, their motion was. Very few people were like, oh, I just discovered this new thing called the internet and I can sell my product over that. I don't need to pay for a sales force. It, it very rarely, I think, was that the case that it was like a, you know, it changed in an industry. I think people adapted and then, and then moved back. Okay. And Steve, you know, you're obviously a highly successful businessman. You created the SaaS, so I know you can handle a lot of stress, especially because I've also built software. But currently, right now, what are you doing? What's the number one thing that you're doing in your business that's sustainable and scalable that you think is going to take your business to the next level? So I mean, we, at our size, I mean, as a software company, we, you know, SEO remains really important, you know, when people, uh, when people go to Google and type in routing for field sales or routing for sales or maps for maps for my CRM, things like that, we want them to, to find us. I think, SEO remains really important. Advertising is important. That drives a bunch of leads for us and new new business for us. Nothing's as important as referrals, frankly. 
That's the biggest source of our business. We try to survey customers and learn about where they learned about us. And it's almost always from someone who's already using us, right? There's so much noise in the world. It's hard to advertise to people. And, and pe most people aren't in market enough to be searching for your product. So, you know, really having a great product, I think, and, and creating value is the best form of marketing and, or advertising because if you make people really happy with the thing that you do, you're creating value, you're creating value for them, then they're able to tell that they will often tell people that they know. And if every single customer you have brings you five more, business is, is pretty easy, right? So that I think has been one of the best things for us in terms of leverage for that part of your question. One of the things that we're doing to get leverage is working with partnerships. So there are sales training organizations. So interacting with those sales training organizations, letting them know that we exist, forming partnerships with them. You know, a lot of times they can help coach if they can make our software a part of the coaching that they do, a part of the trainings that they're doing, it, it benefits their customers when they have a field or outside sales team. And if they're benefiting their customers, then it reflects well on them. So that's been important to us. And I think that's something that we're trying to grow that partner program right now. Also with partners that when people buy a CRM, it's often implemented by a consulting firm. So the partner of the, cons of the CRM system, those consulting firms are another great place for us to have partnerships because we connect with CRM systems. So if you have Salesforce or HubSpot or Zoho or, or any of the major CRMs, we connect to it. So that that partner is a natural partner for us. The partner of the CRM system that's implementing the CRM system can also bring us to the end user. The nice thing about them is they often know who has a field sales team who would benefit from having a mapping and routing system connected to their, their CRM. And frankly, that's one of our biggest challenges is just most people don't even know this sort of thing even exists. They wouldn't know they could have a, a CRM. They wouldn't know that they could bring mapping and routing to their CRM. But even when they know that, they often don't realize how ineffective it is to try to do what we do by hand for a field sales team. They don't realize how much time is wasted on the road, how many times people are only a few miles away from, from a, a really good prospect, but they drive right by them effectively. And so having those partners explaining that to them and explaining the value is a really great leverage point for us. Yeah, I love it. So for everybody out there, just to connect the dots. So, and to recap what we've been talking about, and how Steve has built a multi-million dollar company and helped other companies grow their companies. Over 6,000 customers is number one by knowing your value proposition. You got to know your value proposition. He knows his value proposition. When you know that, you can scale your sales. Number two is coaching. Training is not something you did. It's something you do. You've got to coach your people and constantly be sharpening their sword. And I love that. I still join in on sales calls. I still join in and go to sales meetings because sales is something, as long as you understand it's really service, then you're never nervous. You just keep, you know, finding ways to be curious to s solve people's problems. So you got to be coaching. And then finally, number three, referral programs, collaboration, and cooperation, because there's so many other opportunities out there for you, your products, your services, whether it's getting people to be a partner, a distributor, or finding other products and services that you can tie into yours. 
to add more value to the customer. Because once a customer knows you, likes you, and trusts you, and is willing to part ways with their money to invest in what you have, then it's easier for them to make a decision with you again. So if you are at a plateau in your business right now, or if you're challenged, collaborate, cooperate, create a referral program, because it's way easier to make a decision when you know that you've already bought something from somebody that's created value for you. You're going to trust them again and again and again. So it's endless. So thank you, Steve. Priceless advice. Thank you for connecting those dots today to help people increase their self drive performance and retain their customers. And uh, guys, check it out. Especially if you've got a sales team, go to Badger Maps. It's badgermaps.com, right, Steve? Badgermapping.com. Badgermapping.com. I've got a direct sales force. I'm definitely checking it out. And I've got lots of clients in actuality, like you said, the seed and feed business, right? Uh, that uh, do 20, 30, 40, $50 million in sales. And you would never, ever even imagine it to to farms well that's that's a huge industry and and w which makes sense right like w whenever whenever there's something that everybody's paying a little bit every day for it means it's a big everybody in the world with eight billion people paying money a panel just a little bit or whatever it, it really adds up right so things like farming everybody eats and so they pay money to farmers eventually it goes to the value chain and so the people that support farmers, that's a huge industry for us. Uh, the seed and feed industry, things supporting farmers. There's a lot of field salespeople that go out and meet with farmers, selling them different things. I mean, we, you know, farmers buy their seeds, for example. But yes, that's definitely a, an area where we see a lot of field salespeople. And frankly, they have complex routes because they've got to deal with all the little, all the little roads in the world. You'd think that like a people, someone covering a big city like Los Angeles would have the worst routing problem. And, and, and obviously they, they have a nasty one too, uh, and they have traffic to deal with and everything else. But if you're selling to all the farmers in Colorado and Colorado is your, your territory, you also have a nasty little routing problem and making a routing error can cost two hours and three hours. If you're, you know, if you're really driving long distances, covering, covering the miles. So you heard it here, folks, it's badgermapping.com and it works everywhere in every country in the world. If you need to drive performance with your sales team and make sure they're going the right way, in the right way, and not costing the company money, but making it money, contact Steve. Fantastic. And John, it's great to be on the show. That's a wrap, folks. Thanks for joining me today. And if you got value from this episode, do me a favor, like, subscribe, and refer a friend. And if you want even more value, go to thesalesmachine.com Click on resources and there's tons of resources there to increase profits and drive performance in your business. Right on, right on, come on.